Hello and welcome to episode 58 of What Most People Think. This is the episode that almost didn't happen, man. I, I recorded it yesterday, edited it, spent hours on it, lovingly got it up to speed and then deleted it like a twat, like a complete twat. My laptop said to me, oh, you, 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 haven't, got any, uh, you haven't got any memory left. And uh, maybe it was just like a personal comment because evidently I didn't because I deleted permanently the thing that I needed. And it's been a right old fucking saga. And I'm only telling you because I'm not moaning. Do you know what I mean? You know me. I'm not moaning. I'm just, I know that people take pleasure out of other people's misfortunes. So just, if you're one of those people that's into schadenfreude, just think of me just spending a whole day. Just think of the moment when I realised it was gone. And just, are you getting hard for that? I And look. I know, I know I keep going on about the Patreon, but this would be, I promise you, one of those. If I didn't have clients, right, people actually paying for this to keep it weekly, I would have, I would have gone back to bed. I would have gone back to bed and been a right miserable bastard. And uh, instead, I, uh, I re-recorded it. And the good thing is I've got an interview with the great TV critic, uh, Gary Bushel, which I've had to kind of recover from what we spoke about on Zoom and put it back together again. So but all I'm saying is, is if this is a bit... Seems rushed. It's because it was. I wanted to get it out on Friday. I know a lot of people listen to it on Friday, so um, do please give me a bit of leeway. And uh, yeah, this is this is the show. It's got to land on a Friday. That's what I think. The latest on a Friday. It's got to land like Donald Trump coming out of hospital. Did you see that video of his? This is so funny. If you haven't seen it yet, go on his Twitter account. The one where it's like the end of like one of those Gerard Butler films where the president finally goes back to the White House. It's got all this grandiose music and it kind of swells to a point and the helicopter lands on the lawn. And you sort of think he has absolutely lost it, this bloke. And then flip over to the Joe Biden channel and he's done some weird thing with dogs in that looks like a pitch for some shitty show on uh, Nickelodeon, some sort of family comedy. I think they're both... It's like um, they're not. It's like one of those mischievous old guy films between those two. You know, you know, like you know, like one of those bucket list films, like with Morgan Freeman and Bob De Niro, just two cantankerous old duffers. Uh, but let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy it while it lasts. Cause I think I, I think it seems increasingly clear that Biden is going to win, and um, and then it will be boring. It will be boring. Um, the banter will be gone. And I, I know some of you have found this tumultuous period in world politics unsettling. Some of us have just enjoyed the banter. And then, you know, over there, it'll just be four years of Biden, but it'll really be Kamala Harris. And then here it'll be Rishi versus Starmer, because eventually just the Tories will get rid of Boris once they realise he's become an electoral li- liability. And we will, shall remember, we will remember fondly the banter years when we... <laughs> when Trump was, uh, instead of trying to solve a pandemic, he was sitting there going, how could I look the most like uh, an action hero? Um, How's your week been? How's your week been? If you live in um, Manchester, Nottingham, Liverpool, anywhere up north, essentially, the government are clearly considering uh, extra restrictions, which my my heart goes out to you. Um, I don't know. It's just so hard, this thing, isn't it? You know, you, you, you have strong inclinations, but you do see the rise in numbers. It gives cause for concern, but... You know, I do I do think that if we shut things down now, there's going to be stuff that doesn't come back and, and people just need to, you know, own that, right? They need to say that that pub, that theatre, that cinema, it's not a guarantee that it will come back. And But you know what does make me laugh is that the Tories, uh, the Tories because they're, they're new Tories that have support up north, 
they can't actually say what they probably want to say, which was, you know, this is because of behaviour. You know, those people in these areas aren't, you know, observing social distancing, right? Because, you know, they, that must be the reason on some level. I'm not, I'm not victim blaming the Northerners for wanting to live their lives and hug people and go out and about. But, um, but at the moment, they're, they're kind of dancing around the issue. But the, I, I sort of think the old-fashioned Tories would have just gone, yeah, well, there's these people, there's these, these filthy people up in places like Chesterfield and, uh, you know, Middlesbrough, uh, just uh, just crowding together in their hop. <laughs> the old-fashioned evil Tories wouldn't have, wouldn't have given a fuck, but now they rely on that vote. They rely on that vote, and then you get this conspiracy theory from the Northerners, which is, uh, yeah, all the Northerners, that's right, all of the Northerners, they say, yeah, they're just trying to fuck the North, mate. It's what they're trying to do, you know what I mean? They're trying to fucking destroy our economy. And you go, I just, look, whatever the Tories are, however incompetent or malevolent, they might be. I, I just struggle to believe that they actually want to, you know, fuck the economy. The net effect of their actions might be to do that. But I, I don't think that they're, they're twiddling their bad guy moustache on this one. And so, yeah, yeah, what most people think, this is what the podcast is. It takes the radical view that the Tories might be incompetent, but I don't think that they're evil. Not in this case. Uh, we've got some new patrons. We've all got, also got patrons that I haven't shouted out up to this point. So I'm going to read them all at the top of the show uh, by way of uh, compensation, no matter which tier they came from. Uh, codename Mr. Duffel. Mr. Duffel is one of these guys who works in a very woke, woke place. So I can't say his true name, but Mr. Duffel, he probably... He's living his life under a beanie hat that he doesn't want to wear. You know, one of those guys. Uh, we got Mark Batley, uh, Tom Mulcair. Tom Mulclair, who just to me sounds like a lobby, lobby correspondent for Sky News. Hi, this is Tom Mulclair. As you see, the division lobbies are going in behind me and this vote could be very close for the government. And uh, I've just noticed behind me, I've just noticed John McDonald there. And uh, he's made eye contact with me. I think he's going to nut me very soon. Come back to me in a minute, John. Um, Neil Doas. Neil Diaz, Neil Diaz, Diaz. Are you one of those blokes, Neil, that suddenly decided that you were going to pronounce your name differently? You know, like that weird thing in the 80s when somebody, or was it the early 90s when people were going, oh, it's actually Nike? No, oh, fuck off, it's Nike. We've said Nike for years. No, it's actually Adidas. It's actually Puma. It's actually Hitech. It's actually Porsche. It's just some twat just wanted to pronounce things differently. I'm sure you're not that guy, Neil. I've got Gavin Whitney. Uh, it's a cute name, Gavin. Are you a cute guy? Cute Gavin Whitney there. His cute little name. Mike Goldsack. I mean, I just, you know, better late than never. Mike Goldsack. I mean, you just sound like a sort of, uh, sound like a villain from Austin Powers. But I, I owed Mike a shout out and I forgot to do it. And uh, look, better, like I say, better late than never. Gaz for Jazz. Gaz for Jazz. I mean, that sounds like one of those email addresses uh, do you, you remember the ones we had in the beginning where you had these email addresses and you never really thought about the fact that your employer might one day see it? They go, uh, yeah, yeah, we want to give you the job. Who do we write to? Yeah, write to SpathMonster74. <laughs> uh, we get to the cuss count as well, the cuss count which is compiled by my good friend David Domain. And last week, I was, you know what, I was actually going to say last week was an absolute shit show. Uh, so there's, there's one. Um, this was high. This is really high. We had one arsehole, two arseholes, one bullshit, 10 fucks, 37 fuckings, which I think is close to, if not a record, one piss, one pisses, two prick, two pricks, six shit, two shitty, one wankers and one wanky. And that wrote, that ranks as 1.5 swears a minute. That's too much. Was I close to losing you last week? I don't want to be like a pussy about it. And that's not technically a swear word, but I, I do think that that is too much. 
I, don't, I mean, that's like the 2020 cricket of swearing, isn't it? it just, I just come out, just literally Chris scaled it, mate. Just slogging. Uh, we have a guest on this week, uh, Gary Bushell, uh, TV critics. You see, all the other podcasts, they would go for the fancy pants critics, wouldn't they? they go for like the Hugos or the Camillas. You know, these kind of people. I, I You know, I'm interested in somebody as TV critic of the people that deals in the area of uh, what most people think. So I managed to get uh, a quick chat with Gary. So it's going to be a half and half show this week. We're going to do a, a big catch up uh, on the politics. There'll be so much politics this week. There's been so much happening that we're going to have sort of half of that and we're going to have a uh, chat at the end. And then um, one thing we did have, in, and this is one another Patreon benefit, is that I give VIP patrons a heads up on the guests. And if they've got any questions they want to ask, they put them to me. So I pick three of those and we'll put them to Gary. Uh, and then we do, we've got a couple of normal letters at the end. And just before we crack into the show proper a quick thank you and a fuck you uh which we always do thank you to Cineworld. thank you Cineworld, for trying your best you opened didn't you you did the deep clean you know and what did the studios do to you they didn't give you any decent films the only one they gave you was tenet which probably now we've gone back in time probably now that wasn't released <laughs> you know if you've seen the film that was a bit of a yeah, christopher nolan in joke but I mean, I've gone along. I've tried to support the cinema during this time. Like a lot of you, I've got during this period. I've got a pubs that I'm not even that into. I just want to make sure that they stay open. I've gone to Cineworld. I've seen films that are like you know the kind of blokes that would be find a good wife after a world war, if you know what I mean. <laughs> because like all the other geezers just weren't around. So so I've seen films that weren't great. I went with my son because I got a bit emotional during the week. And uh, I thought, well, maybe cinema's never going to open again, which on reflection is a little bit dramatic. And I went to see uh, Cats and Dogs 3, Paws of the World Unite. It was just absolute dog shit. I mean, I've just, even in the context of being a stupid kids film, it it looked like it was made in lockdown by about five people. Uh, they, uh, But anyway, look, I, I, I tried Cineworld, World, you tried, and here comes the fuck you to James Pussy Bond. James Bond, who could have come and saved the world tonight. That's not that's not even a Bond song, but he could have come and had revenue for Cineworld, but mm, yeah, I don't like pandemic. This geezer that walks away from explosions without flinchings, right? As untold murdered girlfriends that he's just gone, well, I'll just carry on. I'll just flick my cuffs and you know, the hard back arse end of the train just fell off, but I'll flick my cuffs and keep walking. Oh no, there's a pandemic that is asymptomatic for roughly, you know, any working age, healthy person. Oh, maybe I'll go to next year. You dick, James Bond. That was an absolute dick move. Have you not made enough money out of the British cinema goer? Just to throw us a bone, do you know what I mean? Just to go, oh yeah, I'll look forward to that. Do you know, like, we're reduced to really looking forward to stuff, James Bond. You know what I'm going to say? Fuck you forever, you pussy. So this politically, this is the week that Rishi Sunak, he come in for, well, he come in for a bit of tap, didn't he? Rishi's had, if, if it was a batting innings, he it's been a fairly flat track for him, isn't it? He's just been dishing out money, do you know what I mean? He's just been knocking the singles, very flat, he's just been facing medium paces. But this week, <clears throat> the quickies came on, didn't they? He had to face a little bit of chin music, and this is always a great way of losing any new audience with an extended cricket metaphor. But what happened? So Rishi's done quite well. Yes, he's given out money, but on the other hand, he's communicated clearly, and he does seem to have a genuine level of organisation and empathy at a time when many Tories have been losing the room spectacularly, right? So he has this extended interview with this ITV guy, 
And if you watch it, you, the ITV guy basically seems to have an angle in mind, which is that is Rishi Sunak essentially saying people in the arts world need to do something else for a while. And Rishi Sunak's bright enough that he sees that coming and he sort of heads it off with a sort of euphemistic, nothing, you know, a politician's answer. But the ITV guy, not content with that, you know, drives it even harder. He doesn't get the answer he's looking for, but goes with the headline anyway. So this was, I think, on Tuesday morning. It said, uh, Rishi Sunak tells artists to retrain. He didn't say that. I mean, he literally... And I know if there's any comics listen to this who want to hold on to the idea and the anger that comes from him having said that, you know deep down he didn't say that, right? You might go, well, he's think he thought it. Well, maybe he did think it. Do you know what I mean? But if we're going to start judging people for things that we think that they think, okay, I think that Keir Starmer thinks that people who do the conga and eat kebab should be sterilised. But he didn't say it, Jeff. Yeah, but I think that he thinks it. And I really do, by the way, think that he thinks that. He, I reckon Keir Starmer, sorry, this, is, this always happens with the Tories, I always get and end up slagging off Labour, but I reckon Keir Starmer, I know that he has some sort of working class roots and his dad made tools or owned the tool factory or whatever. I do think the working class people do disgust him a bit. I think, do you know what I mean? Like he, he, he just like he, he, he's never stopped running from the council estate, is he? He's, he's not really, he's not really held on to that side of himself. It's, it's difficult, you know. Listen, I live in, I live in, you know, a decent area now. But once you become a sir, there must be a party that thinks, well, I can't really pop noodles anymore. Uh, but yeah, but if you ever needed a sign that social media is um, is left-leaning and tends towards the arts, darling, uh, Rishi Sunak was tre- trending with him within an hour. Right, Rishi said, how fucking dare you? Rishi Sunak, how fucking dare you? Uh, you know, and for something he didn't say, and he was trending, and obviously his people got worried about this, and they got, you know, and, and rightly so, they got in touch with ITV and said, look, he simply hasn't said this, could you change the headline? But as we all know, a lie gets halfway around the world before it's exposed. But I also wondered why why people jumped on it so much with Sunak. And I suppose it's because it's been a bit galling for the left to see a conservative politician at this time who is quite likeable and quite, you know, has, has done pretty well. And also, you know, with those recent approval ratings for um, Rishi Sunak, which were ahead of Keir Starmer's. I wonder if they've started to think, hang on, Boris looks knackered. He looks like he's got serious long COVID with a little bit of new dad syndrome in <laughs> and just uh, what the fuck have I let myself in for? He he resigns or gets bumped out in the classic Tory way. Sunak's in, the Tories carry on. So they really, you, you notice now with Labour, they've sort of realised that, that Johnson's essentially done a number on himself, but they're going for Rishi Sunak, they really are. And the question I would ask as well, you know, because the, as Sunak himself pointed out, is that the grant to the arts was venue based, right? It's like 1.5 billion. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And um, <laughs> a lot of people doing that thing go, well, I haven't seen any of it. But are you a fucking venue? No, all right? The idea is sustaining the venues because a theatre can't go and find work as a delivery driver, can it? That's the point, isn't it? We as human beings can potentially do other things. Venues can only really be venues. And then you then you come down to the example that's been used by other European countries of should the state step in and directly support um, performers? And I think, okay, all right, let's be open to that idea. How much? How much should people who identify as performers or creative artists get paid and for how long? And at what level... Do you do that? Because there's obviously, there's kind of hobbyists and then there's those people that that occasionally earn a little bit of money 
you know, I'm thinking would Andy Melman, the character from Extras, do we want to be supporting that guy in his sort of like flawed dream to be famous? What about someone that like, you know, what about someone that like had a minor cameo in one of Harry Potter, like the second Harry Potter 2, I don't know what it's fucking called, but he's just hanging, you know, he's just hanging in there for the, the Harry Potter reboot. Who? How, what's the criteria for whether or not someone principally earns their, in, their money from it? And how, how well would it go down with the public as well is the other thing. I mean, can you imagine the right-wing press if they just find... <laughs> they just be going, who is this guy anyway? You know what I mean? He, just, he had one part like in, in El Dorado back in the 90s. This guy spent like less time on set than a porn star with a tiny cock. What most people think... Meanwhile, Labour is still a bit of a... Well, they're in a bit of an empty space, aren't they? That's what they are at the moment. They're just an empty space. You know, Keir Starmer... Keir Starmer, you're not there. Me go, 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 play. Me lick it, boom, boom, down. Um, he could do with just saying that when he gets up next because it's way more interesting than what he is saying because he is... He's a lawyer, right? He asks good questions, but he doesn't give good answers. He's still generally on side with all the main principles of lockdown. When they were talking about cancelling the 10pm curfew, he comes out with... There was pressure. A lot, I think a lot of people in Labour thought, well, maybe this is one area It's quite popular, you know, support the hospitality industry. He said, we, we will look at reform of the 10pm uh, curfew. I mean, you don't, reform is such a big word. You don't really use it to that. You reform, like, the justice system. I sounded well drunk there. You reform the justice system. You know what I mean? Uh, you reform the justice... Or the, or the House of Lords... You know, you don't reform like a curfew. Like you don't go, oh, we've reformed it to quarter past ten. You know, if your parents telling you you've got to be in, are you being by ten pm? Sorry, I've just reformed that to nine thirty. It's because they don't have a position, and this is the problem. Their their main thing now is being cross about stuff. Labour haven't got any kind of major opposition, so they just tweet about, oh, I'm so cross, oh, I'm all furious. <laughs> well, you see, see me livid, mate. Absolutely livid, and you know, in their in, in their rights to be about the failures of tra- t- uh, track and trace and all those little things. We're all angry about that stuff, but what we are looking for, you know, looking for is an alternative. I mean, Lisa Nandy. So when it was leaked to the Times that um, the Northern pub restrictions are looking like they're going to come in, she tweeted about, "Oh, it's disgusting that this was leaked." You go, oh yeah, yeah. If I'm a landlord, I reckon that's what they're all standing around on the old landlord WhatsApp group discussing with your tea. You know, it is. Really worrying me about this is that it was leaked. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I could handle it if we, if we, you know, if we. I mean, look, don't get me wrong; it wasn't great that it was leaked, but I think that your main thing as a landlord would be, okay, how long is this going to last for? Is this just going to keep happening? Because that's what worries me, man. If you are pro lockdown, fair enough, right? There are arguments for both, but it's just if I if I'm a like a publican at the moment or a restaurateur, I would be starting to lose my bottle. You know, you think you had one lockdown. Okay, we've come back. We've got going. We're still trading way below where we were, but we've got a business again. And we're going to have another lockdown. Well, the last one lasted longer. And we're going to have another, you know, how many after that? But there's no opposition to it. There's no opposition. And I think that, you know, there was a YouGov poll today, as I'm re-recording this, obviously. And uh, the Conservatives are up two points. And, you know, Twitter and social media will scratch their head. I don't understand it. They're so incompetent. And the disease is taking roots because people are sort of looking and going, oh, yeah, the Labour Party. I mean, let's not forget that on the biggest issue facing this country for a generation, um, Brexit, Labour's 
policy was constructive ambiguity, right? Construct. I mean, like even the word is a fucking oxymoron. You can't be constructively ambiguous. It's just you can't you can't do that. You know, it's like earlier this week they were saying uh, that New Zealand have eliminated COVID for the second time. I think again, I don't think you can like sort of say, yeah, I just lost my virginity again. And you know, Labour. So Keir Starmer was a. Um, even I struggle to say his name without doing the Kirstamer, you know, might even go for like a Gregorian monk type chant version. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can't you can't have that position. You know, it's not a position. Labour's policy at the point of the last election was to renegotiate the Brexit deal, which they would then campaign against. Right. So they didn't have an answer there. The fast forward. We've got another biggest issue in a generation and we do not know what this party would do, you know. And the Labour Party right now, if they should change their flag from the rose to just the angry face emoji because that is all they've got. I'll do a little a bit of a chat about one of my pet subjects here. It's old Nicola Sturgeon, who I just... Uh, so she... I'm wondering if the gloss is finally going to come off Nicola for some people because it was revealed this week that she had a meeting in which it was put to her that the then First Minister, her predecessor, um, Alex Salmond, um, uh, was, had allegations of sexual assault against him. And she said that she... So it definitely happened to me, in, and she said that she she forgot it. <laughs> yeah, like like you... I mean, like, he was the first minister at the time. He's the, the most powerful person within that devolved nation. And she just forgot it. She just forgot it, you know. The, the, incidentally, the meeting was with a bloke called Jeffrey Aberdeen. I just don't think you forget any meetings with a bloke called Jeffrey Aberdeen. I just wonder what it takes with Sturgeon for the halo to come off. The Scotland, the R rate in Scotland is the highest in the UK now, right? 1.7. And that is despite having some of the big, you know, the biggest lockdowns, much bigger than England and even a lot of the local restrictions. There's a lot of people think that she's missing, you know, she made the same mistake that, that Gavin Williamson made, you know, in terms of exams and the algorithm. Let's not forget that, you know, she was the prequel to that and also stood by it initially, you know. I just, I wonder, because she's so used to blaming things at Westminster. I just want, there must have been a part of her that just wanted to go, I say, uh, oh, by the way, Nicola, there we have a couple of uh, allegations of sexual assault against Alec. She's like, Westminster. What? I bl- blame Westminster. But, uh, Nicola, we can't be blaming Westminster for Alex's uh, party hands, you know. The Westminster did it. Did bastard. <laughs> She, you know, this is the one thing a lot of people that are against Sturgeon think is there's almost that part of you that thinks, oh, I hope that she does get independence because one day she's going to have to find other things to blame. I look forward to it. I look, and also, by the way, this this uh, SNP MP, um, Margaret Ferrier, you know, the one that kind of like had symptoms, came to London, got a positive COVID test, got the train back home. You know, what I mean? <laughs> this is the same woman that absolutely slated Dominic Cummings. And then it turns out she's been out all these other places. You thought her COVID symptoms, her COVID symptoms did like more tour dates than Aerosmith. But yeah, I just, I just wonder. This is the problem, isn't it, in Scotland? Is if, if you're pro-independence, there's only one game in town. So I think what this political roundup proves is that they're all a bit at sea at the moment. They're all a bit at sea. And you know, I haven't mentioned the Lib Dems because. Oh, no one mentions the Lib Dems. What most people think. Anyway, what's more fun than talking about the Lib Dems is talking to Mr. Gary Bushell. I was so, so excited to have Gary on the show because he's been around talking about television for so long. It was great to have an opportunity to pick his brain about TV, about a little bit of politics, and also about the music scene, which he's been involved in a lot too. Enjoy the chat. 
Okay, welcome to the podcast, the one and only Gary Bushell. Pleasure to be here, Jeff. Nice to see you. TV critic of the people. You know, there's not many people like you. (laughs) That column has moved about a bit. It's been going since 1987 now. 1987. It's currently at the Daily Star, isn't it? Uh, On a Sunday, yeah. Yeah. On on a Sunday. Sometimes it sort of slips over to the Sunday Express as well when, when their columnist is away. I mean, I've just been interested, like, what, what is the, you know, being a, a TV critic, it, the first thing I think about that is it's another one of those jobs. I mean, we're both in worlds that can be a bit arty-farty and a bit snobby. Can, is being a TV critic like that? Do you have much contact with the other guys in the industry? Well, I know, I know people like Ali Ross. I, I keep in touch with the ones I respect. But I don't bother with the ones I don't respect, you know, why would you? I mean, yeah, it used to be a very snobby thing, but I think we pulled it right down to earth. <laughs> well, I suppose that's the weird thing about television, isn't it? It's like the main function of it is to achieve a mass audience. And yet, so often when it comes to TV criticism, they seem to promote things that are of niche appeal and dismiss things that, that do well with normal people. Well, I find it very odd. I find it very odd. I mean, I was watching Britain's Got Talent unfortunately, on Saturday. And yeah. we've got Alicia saying, oh, uh, comedy's about making you feel uncom- uncomfortable. And I thought, well, who is watching ITV on a Saturday night to feel uncomfortable? <laughs> You're watching it for laughs. You're watching it for warmth. You want to escape from this crap all around us. You know? I mean, like, what was, the, what was the environment like when you came into it? I mean, back at that time, obviously, it was a lot easier for channels to command huge audiences. What, what was it like back then? Well, yes, you're right. Because, I mean, to be honest with you, you didn't really, you didn't even have Sky when I started. So yeah. you're talking about a very limited, there wasn't Channel 5 that came later. So you're basically talking about four channels and everyone was competing for the same audience. And now they're all competing for various fictional audiences that haven't quite, in their heads, make sense. But in reality, might not be there, I think. I, don't, I think the, the, the terrible thing, of course, is that ITV took a decision to stop making uh, dramas for men. Could it used mm-hmm. to have fantastic dramas like Sharp and things like that, and it made a uh, Sweeney obviously going back even further. But it made the decision that men weren't an audience they wanted to cater for. And then, of course, in the uh, in the eighties, in the late eighties, early nineties, they decided they didn't really want mainstream comedy anymore and, and turned the guns. They axed Benny Hill, as we know, BBC axed uh, Les Dawson. Carry On films were banned, and it was just like madness broke out all over the place. I mean, does this it does this some of this lead into this difficulty that terrestrial channels have? I suppose what IT have got, they've got the big marquee things like uh, celebrity, I'm a celebrity, and Britain's Got Talent and stuff. But is this kind of loss of audience? I mean, because they would sort of argue that in a way that it was inevitable loss of audience to streaming, or have they sort of accelerated it by disconnecting from you know the mainstream audience? I think I think the latter is true. I think they dis connected i think they've um, decided they don't want that audience they don't really get, i mean the madness of this is I, it's all advertiser led obviously because the advertisers want young people with money uh, because they're going to hook them for life that's the plan but in reality young people with money are probably married paying mortgages got kids they've got worry about kids maybe even school fees who knows whereas people of my age we've paid the mortgage we've got our kids are grown up we've got money to spend so why don't they aim at us a bit as well yeah, there is this sort of Channel 5 has gone down that route of actually saying, hold on, we'll do this more mainstream stuff. And it seems to be working for them. Obviously, I grew up loving all sorts of company. I love Spike Milligan, loved Monty Python. I also like Steptown Sound. And I think there's the disconnect now because they don't look for the next Steptown Sound. They don't look for the next Falls and Horses. If anything's a hit, they immediately, every other TV channel wants to copy it. 
So why aren't they looking for mass comedy entertainment? Because it's there. People have still got the talent to write it. The comedy actors still exist. Give them a great script and it will come alive. But they just don't seem to be looking for it. Is it just because, the, you probably know better than me now, is it because the executives are all from Oxbridge and they don't really give a toss about what people want to see? They just want to... Well, I mean, from, from my experience, you know, certainly recently, it's definitely, there's, there's a difference between TV as in like the commissioner end of it, you know, like they are more directly in touch with what audience, what's happening with their audience uh, and, then, and then production companies. Because obviously, you know, like you say, there, there is like a a strong sort of undergraduate uh, postgraduate culture and and they're not necessarily excited there's not sexy television to them you know big mainstream audiences and certainly i suppose when you look at the shows that, that critics tend to kind of uh you know really like like catastrophe and, and fleabag and stuff like that is that's the sexy kind of success isn't it it's not you know something like mrs brown's boys um you know, did huge numbers relatively recently, but but it was derided by the industry. What what was your yeah. take? I don't think I know your take on Mrs. Brown's Boys as a show. Well, I like Brendan. I think he's a great talent. I think he's done really well. He's got a, a wonderful memory for gags, uh, and the fact that he, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's basically pantomime, isn't it? It's it's slapstick. It, is, yeah. it, it isn't it isn't as smart as Gordon and Simpson, but it makes a lot of people happy. So why not? What's wrong with it? I don't know why you'd be snobby about it. Well, it's weird because I think like so I think the quality threshold for that show certainly dropped off the last few series. But I think yeah, it was sort of one, two series one and two and to an extent three. I thought that they were good and they had enough about them, didn't they? They broke the fourth wall. They did just enough for it to be yeah, yeah. kind of interesting. But but the industry was lining up to sort of body slam it as a show and it, it but almost as though getting like 10 million views was this straightforward thing like oh if you simply compromised your principles anybody could get 10 million viewers when it when it's it's all, I, I think like it's like long ball football i don't know if you remember there was a got an interview with graham taylor uh, when watford were doing well and they said to him uh, they, they sort of implied that it was straightforward to do this and he said well if it was easy everybody would be doing it john <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know, being a Wimbledon fan, obviously, I had a lot of empathy with that point of view. Of uh, I, was I, to, I was trying to think of a time when, when Watford were doing well. It must have been that quite. This a was. Ago. This I think Elton John was still straight back then. <laughs> <laughs> you really see the difference, don't you, at Christmas? I mean, you must remember growing up that Christmas Day there were always fantastic comedy shows, and it was mm. like everyone watching together. You, you. Uh, and the Fools and Horses were getting 23 million, something at the beginning of this century. So, in, you know, not that long ago. And to go from that to having to scrape together to find anything to comedy in prime time on Christmas is, is just tragic, I think. I mean, like, you know, with a show like Catastrophe, because you have these phenomena of something like Catastrophe and Fleabag that, that didn't, you know, tear up trees in terms of numbers, but were obviously loved. I mean, I, I thought that they were both, I really loved Catastrophe. I was less so on Fleabag, but I could, I admired it. Um, is, you know, do you like those shows? Are those shows that you're drawn to? I love Catastrophe. I thought Catastrophe was wonderful. And like you, I, I, I particularly like the first series of Fleabag, but the second didn't even feel like comedy to me. It was like a sort of soapy drama with a bit of swearing. But didn't really see, see where the last were coming in the second series. The, the first one, loved it. Um, I, I, do you know what I think the big problem there is with sitcoms is they just have a generic thing. Well, let's make it a bit working class and it'll work. Whereas what they don't realise is the great sitcoms also had, which were down to earth and were very, very uh, realistic and with believable characters, they also had a little bit of tension. 
they always had that, you know, in Steptoe and Son, there was the aspiration, Harold Steptoe wanting to get on and improve his life, where Albert wanted to stay as it was. And, and, the, and the same, I think, with the likely as with, with Bob and Terry, Bob, the one who wanted to become middle class and, and get on and Terry being, you know, there was always something there. And with even Victor Meldrew, he was a reasonable man, just mm. frustrated by the inanities of life. And you just think, there's, if, if you haven't got that tension, if you haven't got that believability, you haven't got that, the characterization isn't right. It's not going to fly. You need to want to love somebody. You know, if you look at Del Boy on paper, here is a guy, he's actually ripping people off. He's selling dodgy goods, hooky goods. Yeah, yeah. But you love him because he's got a heart and you see the heart. There has to be that element to it. Otherwise, it doesn't work as a comedy. I mean, that was the thing about Del Boy. Is, is in, realistically, you know, he was a very working class character at a time when the cultural institution was very heavily set against Thatcher, but he was very Thatcherite in, in, in his aspirations, the, the language. Um, and, and, and I think that it's, it's that, I do think that, that comedies generally miss that. So if they think working class, I think oh, it's all got to be bleak and we're put upon and we're all victims. When actually, like one of the things you need when you're working class more than anything is a sense that you can improve your situation. It's actually more important. Absolutely right, yeah. You know, given how quick things have changed. I mean, do you think a show like The Office could be, made commission broadcast now given some of the subject areas it went into yeah i think you'd have trouble with anything like that now um it, 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 there was talk of little britain being revived and you think well hold on a minute how on earth could little britain be revived it wouldn't it wouldn't all of the characters in some way would would uh, upset some pressure group and in, and in particular it always bothered me at the time the david williams i think williams's characters were with a with a less entertaining anyway but one ends is old lady and the joke was she goes into a shop or goes anywhere and pisses herself i didn't think it was funny then <laughs> no way i know if that would get on telly now <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty straight down the line isn't it <laughs> <There's> not... <laughs> that's the gag i mean i thought i saw the first episode of little britain thought it was fantastic but then every episode after that was just the same <laughs> just the same. I just thought, oh, come on <laughs> well i suppose, I suppose more what... invention well, I suppose what Little Britain was, and, and, you know, we haven't had this for a while, was sketch comedy can sometimes be topical in its own way. Like, it takes a snapshot of certain personalities that are around at a given point in time, and we can identify with them. In the same, you know, yeah. Harry Enfield, you know, did that with loads of money. You know, he had certain, you know, types Absolutely. of people. Yeah. Catherine Tate did that. And again, it's, it's a genre that no one's really returned to. I mean, can you think of any sketch comedies, even for the last 10 years, that have broken through? Can't think no, of and what I did, what I did see this year though was that fast show celebration. I thought, how fantastic is this? It was. Did you see it? It's about a two-hour show on one of the smaller channels, and it was just reliving all those characters with some new sketches and exactly the same. People like that existed. Billy, Billy Bleach existed. Billy Bleach was in my yeah. you know, that's a, you, you met people like that. Ironically, I mean, if you talk about a show like Little Britain, right? So when it um when it was pulled from the BBC libraries, right? Um, they, the only sketches they, they left up online were of Vicky Pollard, right? Because <laughs> it just sort of, it proves a point, doesn't it? Fat oh, shaming. Kind of, yeah, fat shaming. Or this, this white working class girl is clearly from a troubled background. It's oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It would never occur to them. And I don't give a shit about any of it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't mind them mocking. I, the, the truth about Vicky Pollard, she was an identifiable character. And that's why, that why she was funny. I, I used to yeah. teach at that time and I knew, I knew many Vicky Pollards, but... But they, I guess that they don't, this is where maybe they're losing like the white working class audiences because the hypocrisies come around every once in a while. And, you know, they're a, they're, it's a hard charge to, for them to fight back against. Well, 
See, I don't think I can add much to that because I think you summed it up perfectly. It is about, it is hypocrisy because if you watch EastEnders, as I'm, unfortunately I have to do, then the white working class, everything bad happens to them. <laughs> you know, it's the only acceptable target. And this is the only place in the East End where, where you can celebrate every religion going, where the Queen Vic will have Diwali, a Diwali night, where they have yeah. a black uh, mural on the, on the wall, despite not having any black activists in the area, or even BLM activists in the area. And yet, you can't have St George's Day. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. such a good point. Yeah, like they're all they're all weirdly not very patriotic, despite being in in reality the exact kind of people that would feel that way. <laughs> like they, they very rarely mention West Ham these days, and even when they had a football team, you had to have Roxy Roxy Mitchell had to be the best player. What most people think? They there is this obviously reluctance to book, you know, right of centre or small C conservative or non woke comics, if you know what I mean. I mean, is it? Do you, from your point of view, is it a case of like, it's just you can't square those two things and you need a different kind of format or, or do those formats just need to incorporate a more diverse range of voices? I think the problem is there is a mindset that exists and it was spelt out to me by Richard Bacon, a great guy, very funny guy, uh, good broadcaster. Hmm. And yet he said to me, all comedians were left wing and none of them believed in God. And I thought, how can you say that? How can you, how can you have that blanket idea that if to be a funny person you have to be left-wing and to be a funny person uh you you don't believe in god you see through the hypocrisy of religion or whatever and i think a lot of people in the industry think like that and so if you if you don't agree with those uh if you haven't got that political stance you're seen as an oddball you're seen as strange you're, you're not part of the you're not part of the firm and yet when you go back and consider some of the people we might consider the real giants of entertainment Bob Monkhouse was a conservative. Mm. Kenny Everett was a conservative. Uh, Les Dawson was a conservative. It, it's not true that you have to be left-wing to be funny. I mean, and it's also not true that left-wing people can't be funny. You think of the late Linda Smith and you think of uh, uh, Mark Steele. These are very funny people who happen to be socialists. So it, I don't think there should be any rules about it. And I, I, I think the problem with how I've got news for you is that even when Labour was in power, they were still banging on about the Tories. You think, come on, aim for the power, for God's sake. I mean, if you think even about, you know, in terms of ubiquity of viewpoints among comics, right, at the moment, you know, our industry is being hampered by, uh, uh, like, the fact that venues have to shut earlier or, or aren't open at all. And there's very little dissent from that. I mean, where are you at with, with where we're at with lockdown? What's your sort of take? Uh, well, we, obviously, we all went along with it when it started and, and felt it was the right thing to do. But increasingly, I feel it, it, the, the, the supposed uh, cure is doing more damage than the disease. And um, it, if, if he, they carry on like this, if they carry on, especially if they impose more lockdowns, it's just going to cripple the country. And more people will die as a result of the economy being mucked up um, than they ever would have done from COVID. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you... When the only people likely to die are people my age and older with underlying health issues, why are you, why are you locking down everybody? Let people go out and work. Let it get into the population because that's the only way you'll get herd immunity. I mean, I just think that they've, they've gone barking mad. They're just completely um, 
even even scientists now uh, in, mm. in great numbers are saying this doesn't work rethink this i mean i do worry i mean like one thing one consequence of this you know, sort of circling back to tv is that we've we have been spending more time at home you know with our tellies and there has been this growth in in streaming services not not least because the main channels for you know for understandable reasons haven't been able to generate new content yeah. um do you think now do you do you only see it going one way with streaming services uh, it seems to just be, I mean, I, I just, all I can do is judge it by my own kids and, and the kids of people I know. And they, they seem to only watch Netflix and Amazon Prime. That's all they, they don't, you, you talk to them about a terrestrial TV program, they don't know what you're talking about. They, they, they might come in and sneer when I'm watching EastEnders, but my, all, they, all my kids want to talk about is Cobra Kai and things like that. And, and Tiger King, obviously, and these great shows on, net, on Netflix. Uh, not everything on Netflix is great, but it's enough good stuff on there to justify the money, I think. Okay, hope you're enjoying the chat with Gary here. Um, it's a bit shorter than I would normally like for a guest, but we had a lot of distortions down the line, and obviously I had to recover it as best as I could. Um, just hype in a couple of things here. I've got an outdoor show uh, in Brighton at the Brighton Open Air Theatre on 24th of October, and that is at 2.30. And I think I can say with almost complete confidence that that is fine, right? It's 2.30, it's outside, it's, it's, it's on the south coast, and I'm going to have a bit of support there from Leo Kerr. Some of you, if you came to see me in Southampton, uh, would know how great Leo's an absolutely great act. And like it's an hour-long show, we're including support from Leo. It's a really great venue there, so do come to that. Coming up next week is the tour dates uh, in Newcastle and Birmingham. And, you know, obviously there are issues floating around, but if look, if it gets postponed a bit, we could, I'm going to still try and do it in November. Do you know what I mean? But I'm going to do these. I'm going to come to fucking Newcastle. I was going to say if it kills me. I've said that before. I've got to realise the obvious irony of these things. Uh, obviously, the Patriot. Now, the Patriot, I wanted to do what most people think news desk uh, this week, which is the short sort of TV format version of the show. But uh, some dickhead, some fucking dickhead, all right, because of the fucking Tories, probably, probably sent their little fucking magic gremlins in my computer. Um, I, I deleted the podcast, so I haven't had time today. So I'm going to look to do that. Um, at the front end of next week. But look, the uh, the, the Brighton Open Air Theatre one, it'd be great to see as many of you there for that uh, as possible. I'm just going to do as many tour dates as I can. They're, you know, I'm just, they're going to have to, it's going to have to be fucking like illegal. And even then, I will consider the fine. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Maybe we could all put in and go, how much would it, you know, the worst thing would be if we if we were doing one of the tour shows and then the old bill come in and there was a raid. And I was like, yeah, who wants to like put in a whip to keep the short show going? And everyone's like, yeah, no, actually, I, I think we're right, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, we're good, mate. We're good. Anyway, be lucky. So when I t- uh, told my patrons you were coming on, uh, for the top tier patrons, I offered them the chance to ask you a couple of questions. So I've got, I've got, uh, got a few here. Um, Gary made his name in punk, supporting many political songs. Music is a bit soft and bland these days. Is there any comeback for political numbers like the sort he managed and others like the Jam and the Smiths? And that's from James Rogers. Do you see politics coming back into music at all? Well, it's still there. Uh, it's whether anyone can, can break through and have an, an impact. I, I, I like Louise de Strauss. I don't agree with her politics, but I think she's a good performer and I think she's got something going for her. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in, uh, in, in bands with opinions and bands make, writing their own songs. And I've done everything I can to, to um, encourage them. I still do a, a, a podcast where we play 
young bands and try and encourage young bands to come through. So um, uh, I don't care what they sing about, uh, but it, it's good when they have got a bit of a, a, a bit of something. I, a band from Brighton, I like a quite young band called Barstool Preachers, uh, and they've got uh, they've got a great song. I'm trying to think of the title now. I know the, the words include um, "Don't look down on anyone unless you're giving them a hand up," which I thought was a nice line. So there's some, yeah. there are some really good bands about. Are they boring now, though, bands? Because the thing is, is as young people are quite serious and conscientious. I mean, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, like, if they threw a telly out the window, it'd be because it was made through child labour. That would be the main reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, where, where are the stories? I just don't see. I mean, like, grime music has got some interesting characters, you know, some lads, yeah. who, you know, they're, they're sort of charismatic and you want to know what their lives are about. But is, yeah, does yeah, that yeah. still exist? Do, do reckless rock and roll bands still exist anymore? Well, they do, but they don't have the impact they did. Um, I mean, the, the interrupters are not rock and roll, but they're sort of like, they're more like the specials, but a new generation of the special type of thing. And they're interesting because Amy Allen, the singer, is a libertarian, which is unusual in, in rock yeah. and roll. So they've got a great song called Take Back the Power, which is all about, well, self-explanatory. So, yeah, so there, are some, there are some great bands out there. I think the old school rockers, what you, try and, what you find now, unfortunately, is people just trying to ape the ones that went before. You know, because Ozzy Osbourne did it, it's not, it's not so cool when you do it, mate. Could you just, obviously, you've like yeah. gone so far and done so much. It's just a shame to see them all dying. I mean, Pete Way from UFO died uh, last month and uh, Eddie Van Halen just died. And you just think, Christ. Uh, I know the autobiographies, you know, you know, like the rock biopics, because obviously we've had the ones of like Elton John and, and Freddie. And I just think like, I just don't know what they'll be, you know, in a few years, they'll have to, they'll just have to make shit up. I mean, you got the sense for those two films that they had to tone it down. I mean, certainly the, dr the drug use in both those films was a, a fraction of what happened in their lives. Now they'll, they'll have to be writing drug use into it because otherwise no one will watch the films. <laughs> well, even someone like John Cooper Clark, who was, I thought, absolutely brilliant when he came through on the wave of punk. Uh, even he's um, uh, had lost 20 years of his life to heroin, you know, you just think, Christ almighty, these people really lived in a, and not in a way I'd like to live. But, uh, well, that's the thing is, I'm not sort of saying that you have to have had like uh, sort of substance issues, but it's, uh, it, you definitely get a few stories out of it, don't you? There's not many... There's not been many sort of great band stories, you know, like, oh, we went, we went to a party of Chris Martin and he had like the best coffee ever. We was just, <laughs> <laughs> we was up till like 1am. He had a proper Brazilian straight, straight off the beam, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I remember being with UFO when Tonka Chapman also just died, chopped out the biggest line of cocaine I've ever seen in my life, which was about a foot long and just did it. Just like that, Christ Almighty, really? And your nose is still there. You haven't lost your septum yet. Just it was, it was, it was just those years when I was on the road with bands. Just, I mean, going to going to India with Hanoi Rocks was one of the the, mo the most weird and enjoyable and wonderful and scary uh, trips I've ever had in my life. Trips it's, as in journeys, or did you? <laughs> Oh yeah, no journeys, but I, unfortunately, yes, in both senses, because they gave me some opium and then suggested I tried brown sugar. And because I was quite young, yeah. and I'd only really ever done speed and stuff like that, I, I naively said, what is brown sugar? And he said, oh, it's like a cross between speed and cocaine. I thought, well, that'll do. <laughs> the idea that I was snorting heroin never occurred to me. <laughs> uh, you didn't have an Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction, did you? Uh, this is a letter from Peter Miller. He says, given the recent announcement that ABC are rebooting the Wonder Years and Disney are rebooting Doogie Howser, is there a need for British TV shows from our childhood 
to be oh i suppose what he's saying to be given the woke wash what he's sort of saying is if these shows get rebooted is it worth it if they give them the woke woke wash sort of thing as as we've had with doctor who i mean that last series of doctor who i do think that they sort of forgot what the purpose of the show was was for families to sit around there's so many places that you get lectured now is there is there a danger if they reboot these shows it would just be more of that I just had a vision of Till Death Us Do Part being uh, rebooted with, with Alf as more like a Corbyn character. <laughs> and preaching for the nationalisation of the ducks and what's left of them, you know. Um, I probably, I probably, I had more of the opinion that unless the right people, unless the original people are involved and the original writers are involved, it's best to leave these things alone and think of something new, personally. That's, I, I thought it was terrible when um, BBC4 remade even Porridge didn't work, did it? And that was the best script, probably, they tried to take on. It was just a, a, an unmitigated failure, the whole thing. Well, that, that is the problem, isn't it? It's almost like with the, the, the recent Star Wars sequels, is that, you know, it's good talent involved and, and stuff like that. But it, it's, just, it's just hard on the people who are in it, really. Because you think, well, how good? Are you going to be as good as Ronnie Barker? I mean, I don't, exactly. I don't, even, I don't even think that's possible, right? No. So, the, so the starting point is, is that central talent will definitely compare badly to the previous talent. No, I think I think I'm with you. You know, find new things. But I suppose that's the that's the bind that terrestrial broadcasters find themselves in, is that is that they need things that will definitely get people to watch. Um, but yeah, maybe the answer is just to be more risky and 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 create shows that have mainstream appeal. You know, I mean, like you know, the re, the, the the Christmas special of Gavin and Stacey was a good example of that. Um, did so well. I mean, it wasn't like wildly funny, I didn't think, but it was it was a great thing to watch. What what did you think of that coming? Yeah, back? I loved it. I thought it was well. I mean, I I really love Gavin and Stacey. I, 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 like you, I didn't think it was quite as funny as it could have been, but they didn't have a great deal of time on it, did they? I think he, he wrote it pretty quickly. They seem to forget that the most important thing they should concentrate on is content. And I think if they were producing shows like Gavin and Stacey uh, or anything as good as any of the stuff we love then the, the whole debate about the licence fee would go out the window because nobody would care. We don't care. It's making us laugh at Christmas or whatever, you know. That's what we want them to do, and they can't do it. Content, Just, content, content. Not, not expanding across the web, not creating the world's biggest, I don't know. I don't, Britbox annoys people, I think, because we've already paid for these shows, don't we? Yeah, yeah, it's true. What's yeah. all that about? I mean, I do, I do sometimes wonder about the expansion. I mean, you look at the expansion in the podcast as well. You know, you can sort of understand to a point why the private sector are going, hang on, like, this is like one area that was exclusive. Yeah, but all of these local radio stations, well, and you're subsidised. And the thing that annoys people most about the BBC, I think, is if someone's head of content, or head of production, or in, or sorry, head of drama, head of comedy, it doesn't matter how many times they muck up, they will still be in the BBC. No one says, well, that was awful. You've wasted millions of pounds, fuck off, which is what they should say. They just get, because it's feather bedded, because it's subsidised, people have this sort of charmed life there. Executives go from failure to failure of it and no one ever gives them the can, you know? Well, a bit, a bit like those football managers, you know, like Mark Bruce and, and, and sorry, Mark Hughes and Steve Bruce, it, it does feel like no matter what they do at football clubs, yeah. like yeah. there'll be a job. <laughs> Because yeah. because once upon a time, 15 years ago, they got someone in the playoffs, you know? Exactly that, yeah. Um, their final letter here from uh, Andrew Lindsay. Uh, Gary, he was a journalist at Sound for years and championed lots of bands such as mod bands, the Chords, Small Hours, and some of the Oi Ips. Am I saying that correctly? The Oi, Oi Bands. 
Yeah, the oi bands, which he loves. Does Gary think that there's a need for Top of the Pops to come back? And, well, just answer that question. Is it possible for Top of the Pops? It's been discussed for a long time. I mean, we just wouldn't know what the songs were, would we? That would be one of the main yeah, problems. There's the trouble. I think, I think it, they, they muddied the water when they, when they changed the way the chart was done. I and mean, it was all about downloads. And suddenly you can have a, a whole album of tracks take up the whole of the top 10 what are you going to have you can't have the same artist on there 10 times can you so it just it makes it very hard i think i think you probably have to rationalize the charts and make it all about individual sales of singles rather than tracks uh, as it used to be before it had any valid valid uh, but we certainly need more space on tv for bands who aren't mainstream for in, in the sense of they aren't trying to be like x-factor bands and that very narrow range of pop which is what it all is about now so uh, even um jules holland show doesn't really give a, any space to those new bands you'd never see missing andy on there or bands a uh, great essex band or um you'd never see band you wouldn't see uh buster shuffle on there who really if they had any tv exposure they'd probably be massive because they're sort of like a, a modern madness it does feel like there's a point in British cultural life where if you weren't famous before it, the door was the, the ladder was pulled up. You know, it, it almost feels it's the same thing happened in comedy. I don't know if you remember, like at the end of the noughties, there was a big wave of people getting very well known, like Kevin Bridges, John Bishop, Mickey Flanagan, Sarah yeah. Millican, and, and like they, they're going to always be known. And then, then it was after that that the 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 audience for TV comedy shows went down. And I think it's probably the same. Probably happened earlier with bands, didn't it? You know, after Top of the Pop stopped. It's become so hard to become a household name. I, I, I struggle to think of, you know, outside of Stormzy, maybe, any, you know, and, and Adele. But even Adele's been going a while now, hasn't she? Ed Sheeran. Um, you, you used to have every year, you'd have that sort of coffee table CD, wouldn't you, that everyone would have, you know, like Katie Melio or someone like that. But those, even those kind of sort of intermediate level famous people aren't coming through. I can't think of his name. Who's the Scottish kid with the guitar? Oh, uh, what's his name? Oh, sound, always, sound, always sounds gutted when he sings. <laughs> yeah, but he's very funny. He's, he's funny as well, isn't he? I can't think of his bloody name. He's come through quite recently, hasn't he? he was not, uh, That's a fair point. Oh, fuck, I can't remember his name. No, no, it's, it's, Callum. It's, no, it's not Callum. <laughs> Lewis Capaldi. That's his I just, I just, I think people are screaming at, screaming at it. Lewis, <laughs> Lewis, so fucking Capaldi, big man. That's yeah. it. That is funny. Yeah, no, he, 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 he's good. And, you know, I saw, I saw a rehearsal of his at the uh, Royal Variety performance and it was like genuinely affected. I'm not, I'm not normally into male vocalists because they always just sound gutted. That's the main thing is they start the song, gutted, finish gutted. No, Gary, it's been, thanks so much for coming on this show, obviously, and being one of the rare voices in sort of TV criticism that's coming from a working class background and representing what most people think. It used to be. I mean, when I grew up, the working class were represented on television. You had from everything, from our feeder zone uh, pet, boys from the black stuff, Steptoe, whatever. It was right across the board. Budgie and, and, uh, and, and shows like this. Now then, it's hard to get a working class voice on television at all. And, well, and look, that's, I think, one of the tragedies. Because it used to be, we look back at that era with affection especially i mean for me mind was probably the greatest show ever it just i knew people like that and it, it just 
felt so real and so um, it had the humour and the wit, which is often missing, obviously, from shows like Dead Enders, you know. That's what we've lost, and it's a bloody shame. We should have more working-class voices on television, more working-class voices in culture across the board. Even pop is now dominated by people from bloody Oxbridge. There's nothing wrong with being bright, and there's nothing wrong with being from Oxbridge. But give us some space for other people too. Well, look, I'll do my best on the BBC diversity panel to, to push this point. <laughs> I'll use whatever influence I, I, I've got. And I'll also say, look, and Gary Bushell said it. Um, listen, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you've been a great guest. Cheers. Pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. So there it was, the chat with the one and only Gary Bushell. Like I say, sorry that was a bit shorter than usual, but I had to salvage... Um, what I could and just a reminder that when I do have guests on uh, for Patreon VIPs you'll get an upfront notice of that and the opportunity to ask some questions I know that we just did uh, some letters with Gary but there's just one letter from the normal section letters that I've got to read you this is from uh, so I'll just read the letter first and then I'll tell you it's from uh, Jeff my wife has started farting regularly in front of me I mean you've got me straight away that letter is getting read out that letter is getting read out. Um, it didn't happen for the first six years of our married life, but once we got to a seven-year anniversary, she started letting them go regularly. I really... Sorry. I really don't like it. It's just something about the way he said I really don't like it. I'm just imagining, like, the misery on this geezer's face. Um, she's quite right on, so I don't want to get into it, but I don't... <laughs> I don't fart in front of her. Oh, bless you, mate. And he said, his name that he's put is Mr. Anonymous. Can I just say, when you you just put anonymous, the fact you put Mr. Anonymous suggests to me that there are loads of self-esteem issues here. Oh, that's all right. Just fart in the face of old Mr. Anonymous here. Um, oh, mate. I, it's so, so much of this is funny to me that she's just started doing it. She's got to seven years. I mean, interestingly, potentially the seven-year itch there. And she started fighting in front of you. And yeah, of course, you know, we're in this feminist age, mate. Can you tell her? Can you tell a woman what to do with her body? Like, oh my God. Um, I really don't. She's quite right on. Yeah, so you said she's quite right on and a bit feministy. Um, I just think you've got to grow a pair here, mate. Uh, or <laughs> is she testing you? I mean, what is going on here? What's made her start doing this? Like I say, I am... Um, like in my relationship, you know, there's, 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 there's farts. They occur sometimes. I think that as a couple, I think, yeah, there's not... Is it wrong to say... Look, I'll, I'll be old-fashioned here. I do think that where possible, a lady should avoid such behaviour. And I know I'm, I'm, that opinion is clearly there to be shot down. But, yeah, I don't want to see it. <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's one of those little bits of chauvinism. I can't defend it, right? I can't defend it. It's in the same way that women should just shave their armpits. I'm sorry, yeah, I know women grow hair there. It's unnatural to shave it, but it's been this way for a long. I don't think we can. I don't think we can turn back now. Um, so you, uh, she's got. Look, maybe what you do is you've got a. I, oh God, I've just had a horrible idea, but I'm going to share it anyway. You just dry heave next time she farts, like instantly. When she does it, she goes. You're, <laughs> is this the most disgusting, pure thing I've ever done on a podcast? Then she does again. And then she's like, I'm sorry, is that having an effect on you? you go, no, no, babe, look, you just go, it is, it is, this, this will, this will work, mate. This will work. 
she goes, oh, oh, is that me doing that? I didn't, no, babe, you, 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 yeah, it's 2020. I can't tell you what to do with your body, but it just, uh, could you just give me a heads up? Because I actually, I, I actually taste in bile. That, oh, I'm so sorry. If I've just said that and you were <laughs> if you're eating, oh my God, I love this email so much. Mr. Anonymous, um, you've got to, you've got to front up or, I mean, if you if you start farting in her, that now it now it starts seeming like one of those kind of like nineties relationship comedies where it gets like you know they're outdoing each other like the breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. I don't did that one have a have a fart in sort of top trumped? Hey, see my brain is always working. Um, but yeah, look, thank you for sharing that. Do a fart. She farts. You dry heave. Checkmate. Okay, so that is the end of the podcast. I'm just going to go on iTunes and see if I've had any reviews this week at all. What have we got? Uh, if you leave me a five-star review, I will read it out. And we've got one here from Lyra Chad, 1994. I'm not going to lie, kind of loved that you assumed my last review was from a Russian bot. Another great show this week. Thanks for keeping me sane. Emma from Kent. I still want to watch that rematch between Rob and Starmer. So you could you can post another five-star review. And it, Oh, by the way, right, that, uh, that was the only review this week. Did I sound gutted there? <laughs> Did I sound gutted enough there? It was absolutely fine. So fine that, you know, after I've, um, you know, lost the file and then re-recorded it and then went to check just for a bit of validation that there was only um, one review there. I think I, I can't actually think of anything more fine than that in some ways. Um Look, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't done the Patreon, and by the way, you can join my mailing list as well with for free, um, and there will be something coming up on that that will make it worth your while. But just just um, just if you're, not, if you're not doing any of that, if you haven't bought any tour tickets, just leave me a fucking iTunes review, all right? Five stars, I'll read it out, because I'm not upset. 